it's worth beginning with an introduction of who we are and um, what this podcast and what this brand is about. Um, so I'll just start off with who I am. So my name is Xavier. I'm a, a university student studying in Sydney at the University of Technology of Sydney. And um, as you can probably tell, I am from Australia. Um, however, I've grown up overseas in India and that's where I've met my friend Shashwit. Um, I'll pass it over to you, Shashwit, to introduce yourself. So my name is Shashwat and I study at Babson College in Boston, United States. And I, as Xavier mentioned, am from India and Nepal and currently I'm residing in Nepal. Fantastic. Well, I think we can also, we also talk about what we're doing, what this podcast is about. And I think that's also why we're both here today is to kind of discuss who we are, what is this huge project, what is this brand, so on and so forth. So in terms of what is Utopias Now, um, first and foremost, it's a brand, but it's also what we're doing right now. It's a podcast and it's dedicated to having deep discussions about all sorts of topics, very broad topics, a broad range of topics uh, with the intention of stimulating and challenging people's views and also our own views first and foremost as well. Um, and the overall overarching purpose is also to reorient our focus to the future. And why we want to do this is because we both believe that being able to be future oriented in a world that seems in some instances short as a short-term view on certain things we think is an issue that we would be able to address by expanding basically our scope zooming out a little bit and issues that are quite complex and having a, just a greater understanding of the context in which we live in um and yeah that's essentially what this podcast and what this brand is about um on a general level so just to add to that, I'd like to say that what we're trying to do here is to bring about a shift in the way we see things. For now, it's just me and Xavier and a couple of other friends, but we're trying to bring a shift in the way we see things by challenging our own personal beliefs, our conditioning, uh, the way we've been brought up and ideas that we come across, questions that we encounter. We're trying to ask better questions to come up with better answers and bring about a shift in the paradigm. And so our, our really the goal here is to just bring about more and more awareness to our true self and condition and the world around us and ask questions um, like how we can create a better world here and now and how we can get the pot stirring and create the sort of disequilibrium in our minds to, to reach the spaces that lie beyond. But a better question now is that how the hell are we going to do any of this stuff? So Xavier, how, how, how are we going to do all the stuff that we're saying? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it's very important to lay out, obviously, the, the how, because that is also the most important question. It's a practical one, but obviously the practical questions or the questions that are focused on the operations of a brand, of a company, um, is also very important. Um, and so the first and foremost, how we're going to do this is we're going to engage in open dialogue and engage with ideas. And these ideas are going to be ones that we maybe hold, um, Shashwood and Ahai, that we both believe. Um, but it's also ideas that we are unfamiliar with or ideas that uh, have we've not challenged enough or ideas that we think that we could engage with more, but we just need to find the right people to engage with. And this could range from a whole... Uh, a whole list of, of views, um, a, a goal that we wanted to do with this, with this brand and with this podcast is to build a transdisciplinary community, 
a community that has no bounds in terms of specialization. It is coming together and bringing all of our perspectives, all of our unique perspectives and all of our subjective experiences and also applying an objective element and allowing those to come together to find this balance and to really challenge every view that possibly exists to have uh, essentially a more fruitful discussion and a more engaging understanding of why people believe the things they do. And there are a lot of ideas that exist that uh, potentially people have a value judgment on, like why does this person believe in X? Why does this person believe in Y? But I think it's very important that in this current day and age, especially politically speaking, that we really engage with ideas with no value judgment, but just really understand why people believe they the things that they believe. Um, and I also think, I also believe that it's important to build a brand and a community that champions a few values, um, a few of which I think you would love to dive into, Shashwood, but one of them being truth and balance um, and others, other topics ranging from curiosity, because this is a value that Shashwood and I both strongly believe in and it's something that we both let this principle guide our lives, as well as being committed to lifelong learning. We're both also very committed to constantly and consistently challenging ourselves to engage with different ideas and uh, something a quote that I really like is having ideas ruin our lives but in the best possible way because there's, there's nothing more fulfilling to have ideas that completely reorient the way you live and reorient the way you think um, and I can see light bulbs going off in your head Shashwa. Exactly. So I think you you gave a great summary of, of how we're actually going to do this by engaging in conversation, in dialogue and in dialectical uh, manners. And essentially what we're trying to do is to shift the way we see things. And the way I see this will happen is by engaging in novelty, in ideas that shake up our minds and our models of reality, like Xavier kind of mentioned. And, and so uh, I would say that we both are very, very curious and explorative. Uh, and want to constantly challenge ideas, beliefs, and bring about some kind of change, because uh, even though this is cliche, change is the only constant, uh, and it's been said for quite a long time. But our goal is to embody that change and to, to do something about these ideas that we're speaking about. But again, a better question that comes to my mind in that case is, why do we want to bring about this change? And what do we want to bring this change from? kind of like, what is the current status quo? What is the situation? What is the, the reality that we're currently living in that calls upon this need to engage in dialectical conversations and challenge our beliefs and bring about this change? So Xavier, would you like to take a jab at that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I also just like to clarify, this is only, this is a perspective I can take just from the experiences that I've lived in that have informed my, um, my worldview. And obviously the, the conflicts that um, are challenging are ones that haven't been resolved because they are challenging for that very reason. Because if they were easy problems, they would have been fixed. Things like climate change, things like how to live in an economic model that is sustainable for everyone. These are very big issues and problems that if they were so easy to fix, they would have been fixed already. So I can only speak to what I think is uh, what I think is the problem and that whether that's right or wrong, I think that is for, um, I think for critical thinking and uh, I guess just thinking about to decide whether what that is. But um, for me, thinking about the current status quo or the current situation is it is one of 
uh, around this idea of intergenerational conflict. And what I mean by that is previously in all generations, um, there have been problems that have plagued those generations, um, both a pun and also um, literally in terms of, um, for example, the printing press, there was an issue where how do we expand education? We expand education through printing books and living and growing and building a system of education. Um, and if that, and if problems like that are not solved, they are passed on to the next generation. So where, where the problem comes with this sort of thinking is that with problems like climate change that have been in the, the thinking of, uh, of all sorts of intellectuals since I believe the 70s or the 60s or even before that, um, before what would happen is if problems weren't solved, they would be passed on to the next generation to solve because the minds of that time were unable to resolve those matters. However, it seems to me now that problems or any other problems like um, unsustainable economic models are at a point now where we are unable to pass it on to the next generation because if we were to do that, it would be too late to make change uh, to make the, the change that is necessary before it would lead to maybe a dystopia, for lack of a better word. Um, and I think now we're at a point where we see these two sorts of dualities. We see one of do we interject and do we try and change as much as possible or do we let things f- flow as they have been, which is try our best and if it doesn't work, pass on to the next generation. And I think we have to really reconcile these two dualities and really try and resolve the current conflicts of the time and really engage with ideas that may be different. Um, And and that's essentially my take on things, trying to resolve these intergenerational conflicts, these conflicts that are not being able to be resolved in the current generation and potentially pass on to the next. So that's that's quite interesting. And two big ideas that I took away from what you're saying, Xavier, that, that I'd like to add to. One is this idea of intergenerational problems and problems that are being passed away because of the complexity uh, that they, they have in those problems, because we're always changing and becoming more and more complex as a species. Uh, the problems also become complex. So the idea that comes to my mind immediately is the idea of transdisciplinarity and how transdisciplinarity since the 60s and the 70s, since since climate change came more to our awareness, uh, educational, uh, sorry, academics and, and all these uh, thinkers, these, these thinkers started to think about, okay, what, how should we be approaching problems now? Um, and the answer that, uh, that some of these people, especially Jean Piaget, he came up with, who, who I think is a psychologist, he came up with this um, initial idea of transdisciplinarity, which he essentially said that right now, looking at problems from one dimensional view of, of just one department or industry or subject or, or one person trying to solve one problem isn't good enough with, with co- problems as complex as climate change and broken systems. This one dimensional view, the siloed view is not good enough. And so what we need is a different approach. And there were other, other methodologies like interdisciplinarity, cross-disciplinarity, multidisciplinarity. But um, what this evolved to becoming was this whole bigger notion of transdisciplinarity, which is, which is essentially the word trans means going beyond. And so 
transdisciplinarity is implying that we go beyond boundaries and try to get this kind of astronauts overview effect that's that's what i that's what my take on transdisciplinarity is which is kind of not being in put up in these silos but kind of mixing all these things up together and taking a greater picture or or seeing a, the bigger picture of things uh because that has a very profound uh shift on the way we see things especially true in this astronauts overview effect that i mentioned when an astronaut is thrown into space and sees this giant blue beautiful ball as just one thing not divided up into boundaries and and countries and what not it brings a quite a profound shift in the way this person life and this person's models of reality changes and so transdisciplinarity is basically that idea of going back staring stepping back and going beyond the boundaries that were, that we have created that being said it i do not mean or or what these people are who are talking about transdisciplinarity they don't mean that we should completely ignore boundaries and and you know have this notion of complete oneness because in transdisciplinarity there are disciplines and so that brings me to the second point which is this this notion of dualities on one hand we have boundaries on the other hand on the other contrary we have no boundaries but what transdisciplinarity is saying is that we not we must not go to one extreme or the other we must not become so objective and scientific and and uh div- divided uh on one extreme but also not like fully uh just subjective and and religious and and only like in the feeling world on the other extreme where we're only like thinking about unity and oneness and love and peace the the point is to to transcend these dualities and to find this kind of uh non duality in the process and so that the the clear image that comes to my mind which i absolutely love and hope to get tattooed one day is the uh, the the image of the yin and yang which is in the subjectiveness is the objectivity and in the objectiveness is the subjectivity and if we're able to transcend this whether that's in in the conversations that we're having or just our day to day lives you know we are conditioned to think in dualities whether things are good or bad left or right east or west man or woman i mean it's never ending even even the if you think about the nature of of things everything is it comes in waves sound light everything right even wave has a duality in it but essentially what this whole philosophy of non duality says as these two sides are two sides of the same coin and that we must realize that there are uh, just one essentially so how i kind of see this whole current situation is that we are conditioned as human beings to see everything in dualistic ways and divided ways um and how i would like to move ahead and how i see this kind of conversation we're having and the tr- community that we're trying to build as a, a a kind of shift in the way we see and transcend this duality uh into a more transdisciplinary perspective so i've said a lot there i'm going to pause for a moment and uh let that process yeah for sure and i think just to add on to what you were saying uh, the the ideas of transdisciplinarity or just combining multiple disciplines or multiple specializations people that specialize in economics fashion environmental science combining all these perspectives is something that we really strive for and we want to strive for with building this community because there's nothing more potent than not only bringing in multiple objective experiences and subjective experiences and objective thoughts but also building that community with people that believe and come from completely different sectors and i know from just um doing some 
reading on the topic are the ideas that diversity and championing diversity of thought and cognitive diversity and just everything to do with difference is such a good way to not only solve problems, but to actually move forward. And this really touches on, uh, subtly touches on the idea of utopia, which is when we are able to bring together multiple perspectives, not only those that are, I guess, intellectual on like a higher IQ level, but just multiple perspectives that are different, subjectively different, but also um, objectively different. We're able to figure out more of the problem space. Um, and if we have like a rectangle, for example, if we have people that think very similar, they cover one part of the problem space and that's it. But if we have multiple people that come from completely different backgrounds that think completely differently, we're able then to translate that into more substantive and more objectively and subjectively speaking, um, better results because we're able to see more parts of the problems together by bringing together our differences. And I know that there's been studies by, for example, McKinsey, consulting firm McKinsey and things of these sorts. And this is what Matthew Sire talks about in his book, Rebel Ideas, of how diversity and cognitive diversity and bringing together these different disciplines, these different perspectives, or I guess transdisciplinarity, and we encompass that into a problem space, it is one of the most effective ways of bringing change. And that takes us to the next point, which I think is worth bringing up, which is what is the, which, oh, sorry, I see you have a question, Shasha, or you have a thought just before I move on. Oh, yes, exactly. I have one last point to add. You said it kind of touches into utopia. Um, and, and this kind of notion of bringing as many perspectives as possible. I'd like to show an image right here to that encapsulates this idea really well and kind of relates to the, the value of truth and utopia that we try to embody. So can you see my screen right here? Yep, yep, can see it here. Exactly. So how I see utopia or the truth or, or the objectivity or the, 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 the thing that lies in the center is this truth. That's, that's the ultimate truth the utopia that we seek. And that's the objective reality that we are subjects of. And so these two sides that look kind of different, according to me, how I see them is the subjective views that people have. So for example, I could be this blue circle here, seeing one side of that, that truth, and you could be this, this um, uh, orange square here, seeing another side of the truth. And it's not to say that what you see is wrong or what I see is wrong, because we both do see a part of the truth. And so essentially, the kind of conversations that we're trying to have here, according to me, is not to like try to get into a debate uh, where we come from a sense of ego to say that you are right or I am wrong, or uh, sorry, I, I am right and you are wrong and, and things like that. The point is to recognize the truth in everything that is coming. So all the perspectives that we bring in, um, we see the truth in or we see is is somewhere true. And by bringing in as much uh, subjective perspectives and subjective truths as possible, we get closer and closer to the objective truth right in the center. And so back to the idea of transdisciplinarity, uh, was, I wrote this paper on it. And the first notion that came up in the paper is that in order to build a transdisciplinary community or engage in transdisciplinary innovation, problem solving, collaboration and action, one must be willing to let go of their ego. Because oftentimes when we bring our ego in and, and the sense of I that I am right and you are wrong, then there is 
bound to be more clash. That's where this whole duality comes in. This black and white, things become like too rigid and then it's always clashing. But if a person is able to dissolve their ego uh, in a sense where they're able to see this gray space and it's not, these contraries are not clashing, but coexisting at the same time, then I believe that like the image I showed, the objective truth, uh, we are getting closer and closer towards it. And that's why through our actions in the here and now, we, uh, we, we are trying to build this utopia and, and this transdisciplinary community through these conversations. So that was just what I wanted to add right there. Sorry about that. No, no, for sure. And that actually touches on the next uh, question, which I was thinking of, which is what is the current problem or what is the issue? What is the problem space? And uh, I just wanted to continue on your train of thought. Um, you were talking about how we have to coexist with our subjective experiences to get closer to the to this idea or this notion of utopia. And I think one problem that we really have right now is, is that we have this inability to coexist with different perspectives. And it is very important that we are able to do this because one, when we have, when we are able to facilitate understanding, we're able to facilitate balance. And this coexists with this idea of, you know, the yin and yang, which you brought up with, which is within good, there's bad and within bad, there's good. But let's try to change this around. We could say within the objective, there's a subjective and within the subjective, there's the objective, right? And so I think one problem that we really have is that we're unable to coexist with ideas. I think some examples range from politics, um, but I think more or less, I think the broader issue is, is just the general experience of people or the general ideas that people hold. It seems to me, and although this is just on face value, um, it seems to me that there is this inability, like I said, to coexist with ideas. And this is something I'm very passionate about. And we can talk about it. We can talk about this for a whole podcast. Um, and I, another issue I wanted to go on to, which I think um, is, is in some sense is a part of the condition that we live in, is this idea of short-termism versus long-termism. And this relates to the idea of this anecdote, rather, by Roman Krasnick in his book, The Good Ancestor. And he poses this idea or this, uh, this, this story called the acorn versus the marshmallow. So I suppose just to, to very briefly explain what this is, um, we have two, two, we have a continuum and on the continuum, on one side of the continuum, we have acorns as literally uh, the, the seeds or whatever of a tree. Um, and then we also have marshmallow, which is this uh, dessert or whatever. I mean, or whatever you want to call it. So, if we are given the choice of what will we choose in terms of um, just literally our choice in terms of what we would prefer, um, we have the acorn of the marshmallow. On one hand, we have the marshmallow, which is something that's sweet. It will, it will satisfy us very instantaneously, just given the dopamine rush from sugar. And it's very easy to consume, very quick to consume. Um, it's very easy. And on the other hand, we have the acorn, which is the seed that if we plant, over time, after watering and nurturing it through good and bad, it will start to seed into a tree, uh, into a little plant, and then eventually into a tree. And that may take a couple months or maybe a couple of years, depending on what tree. I'm not an arborist, so I'm not too sure. But 
irrespective of the fact we have this idea of this notion between the short term and the long term. And I think the issue that we have is that in some parts of society, whether that is the political system, the education system, or the corporate world, I think there is this notion that we have to take a short-term view of a short-term way of living in order to, to just meet the necessity or to meet the objectives. Um, for example, you know, the political terms um, for presidents is approximately four to six years, depending on where you are. And one question people probably ask is, how are you able to achieve long-term goals, for example, meeting climate goals, so like meeting the Paris Agreement, in the four years when the president needs to retain his his position in order to be re-elected, and he probably will do things to in the short term to get that re-election. So I think that is a problem that we face, and I think if we take as if we zoom out and to use your words, the astronaut overview effect, if we take a long-term scope of things, we are maybe able to see the problem space with more with a more comprehensive view. And it's a simple idea such as if you have a piece of paper in front of you um, and it has writing on it, if it's right up to your face, there's no way you're going to be able to see it. But if you pull it back a little bit, you will be able to see it. However, the balance comes, if it's too far away, then you won't be able to see it all. So we have to find this balance of how, how close do we keep the paper to our face in order to read what is on the paper. And that's all my thoughts on that. So, so I'd like to add a little bit to that and, and kind of uh, take a jab at why this is actually, well, not a problem, but why is this limiting? And like you said, it's a spectrum, short term versus long term. And I, uh, I, I'd like to clear it out again that the long term is built of multiple small short terms. And if we don't have short terms, then then we would not have long term. So it's again like the yin and yang, two sides of the same coin, same story, right? We got to find that balance. Too close to our face, not work, doesn't work. Too far away, doesn't work. You've got to find that space that's just right. But the problem that I, well, not the problem, but the condition I see we are in is that we are evolutionarily more conditioned to value short-term benefits over long-term. Like our ancestors, our, uh, let's say our hunter-gatherers, they didn't care about what's going to happen years away from now. All they cared about was their next meal. That's all they could bother about. And that's how Mother Nature has conditioned us. That's again not to say any, that is good or bad. But in today's world, I think that is quite limiting because we have kind of transcended as a society the basic needs, although there are still a lot of poverty and a lot of people who don't have food. But at least for you and me or, or the people we, uh, the communities that we exist in, uh, these, these initial things have been transcended and, and uh, people have been able to feed themselves and get over these short-term needs, you know, uh, chopping wood and fetching water and making love and, and all that stuff has, has been quite the norm and it's, it's no more an issue. Where short-term thinking becomes an issue or a challenge, in my opinion, is simply in the decisions we make, whether that, again, like you said, it could be in any domain, in politics, economics, education, anything, whether that's just the next decision, what am I going to do right after this conversation? That decision has an impact in the greater scope of things, like the complexity theory says, bottom-up way of bringing about change. Every single thing, every single action has some sort of reaction in this continuum spectrum of energy that we live in, right? So if one, like, let, let, me, let me try to use an example to kind of explain why short-term uh, thinking leads to worse decisions. 
So on, on in one place, like thinking about the pandemic, allegedly it was started because some person in a wet market decided to eat a specific type of meat, which consumed this virus, which led to this, this cycle of unsustainable uh, deterioration of health and c- continuously spread. It was a, a loop and a, a, a vicious cycle of worse and worse decisions, right? And if we kind of had a more long-term view that consuming this piece of meat, given that I have this information that it's going to cause all this disaster and damage, uh, I would assume that this person would not as likely to be consume that meat and try to fulfill their short-term desires, you know, the marshmallow, and rather think from a long-term perspective of trying to build a more sustainable world. And so that's where I see this whole uh, acorns versus marshmallows, short-term versus long-term. Another metaphor is vitamins versus pills, or or pills as in more like antibiotics or painkillers. Vitamins being the long-term solution, the the prevention, and um, these antibiotics and and painkillers being the short-term cure and, and kind of like that instant relief. So I believe that today's society is in that in that spectrum of things is leaning towards uh, the more short term gains um, and how I see all these movements around sustainability and long term thinking and all this stuff is to reorient ourselves to think more long term and, and think more about uh, the future of our planet and the future of humanity. But that being said. I also have a question that challenges this entire notion of being in the future versus being in the here and now, right? Like the name of our podcast is Utopia is Now. And aside aside from this name, because we're going to discuss that in another episode, um, being in the here and now is considered to be the new cure for all the mental health problems we have. It's quite the spiritual, philosophical uh, cure, right? Just be in the moment, be in the present, and all your problems will resolve. Stop thinking about what you're going to do next or uh, what you fucked up with in the past. Just be in the here and now. And so if there is this entire notion of being in the here and now and, and this movement towards being in the present, then how does this play along with this notion of that we're trying to say that one could be thinking more long-term and society could reorient themselves from thinking short-term and here and now kind of stuff to this more long-term vision. Because this initially, when you hear that there, I find this cognitive dissonance and I'm curious to know what you think about this dissonance, David. Yeah, for sure. It's a fantastic question. And I'd also like to take this moment to say that we are not sponsored by Headspace, although we're open to any offers uh, for sponsorship. Anyways, that aside, I think you do bring up a fantastic point about this idea of we need to be thinking long term for certain issues because it helps us, it reorients us and helps us um, see the bigger picture and make decisions that uh, I guess more acceptable for those specific goals. So in saying that, I, th- I do completely recognize the importance of being present, not only at a practical point of view, but at a more philosophical and a spiritual point of view. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of books on this topic. People like Eckhart Tolle um, that write books like The Power of Now and other spiritual people of these sorts. Although it is not academic in the sense of peer reviewed or anything like that, I think there is generally a consensus within the West and definitely in the East where these ideas originally come from, where these notions of meditation and spirituality have a net benefit to us as a whole because they bring us more in touch with the current present. Um, and I know there's uh, there have been a few studies. I can't cite any off the top of my head, but I know people like Sam Harris and things of this sort really do. Uh, they talk about the benefits, especially Russell Brand as well, and talk about the benefits of being present and being in the now. 
And I think it's very important to, to recognize that that is something that we must do because it also connects us with the realities that we're living in. It allows to, to experience life. And I think that is, uh, if, if we just take a, a really bird's eye view of where we are, um, we are living in, from a cosmic perspective, we are in the time, it is a blink of an eye because we're going to be in one generation, 70, 80 years later, we're gone and it's the next. And that is barely registered on the continuum of how long we've existed. But in saying that, it is important that we recognize and we are really connected to the now because our intrinsic experience and our subjective experience informs our objective experience as well, our objective thoughts. However, now in, in recognizing the importance of being in the present, I also think it is possible, and I don't think it is mutually exclusive, to also be thinking in the future. So in summary, I think we are able to be in the present, but simultaneously think in the future. And we need to think in the future because if we are not future-oriented, we will not be able to see the bigger picture. Um, to play devil's advocate to myself, I do recognize that certain points, certain issues do require um, a more short term or more maybe um, zoomed in point of view, because at the end of the day, certain issues can only be resolved by looking at the details. I, I think the phrase is the devil is in the details. That's the quote. Right? So I think it is important that certain issues are dealt with in that manner. However, I think from just a long-term perspective, if we look at the people that have really enacted change, um, if we look at the people that have really had a huge impact on our lives, the first names that come to mind are like Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, um, Gutenberg, all these sorts of figures. Um, these people are recognized because they not only solved the problem of their time, but they looked generations ahead and they thought, how can I make this life a better life, not only for now, but forever? And I think it is very, it's vital that we are able to think in the future, but again, be in the present. And I hope that it answers your question or any of the skeptics. I'm sure there will be skeptics no matter what, but that is the, that's the view I take. So I'd like to add some more light to this. I completely agree. What I'm hearing you say is that it comes down to the balance. Being too much in the present or being too much in the future, none of those extremities serve us. And somewhere it's the balance between thinking in the future, being in the present or, or vice versa. Yeah. So uh, just to like share some more perspectives on this uh, from doing some research, what I learned was that as primates, as, as human beings, we're conditioned um, in our brain to have this part of the brain called the neocortex that allows us to be in states aside from the present. Not a lot of other species have been able to do this. So I do believe that this ability to think of the past or the future has made us the most dominant species on this planet. It is definitely a boon of some sort, right? Because what our, our brain is like this, uh, it's like an artificial intelligence system. We're taking in data from the present, comparing it to the data from our past, from our memories, and predicting what could happen in the future. So our, our mind is constantly shifting between the, uh, the present, past, and the future. And it's a cyclical loop, right? And, and back in the day when there were hunter-gatherers, I mean, this was essential to survival because if, if a, a hunter was just, you know, out in the nature and just saying, oh, I'm just going to be here and now and just chill out and going to be in the moment, well, that hunter would not survive. There would be a lion who would come and kill and eat that hunter really soon. So the whole notion of being aware of the present, comparing it to the past and anticipating a future that might be of a potential threat essentially helps us survive. 
But that being said, that that on one hand is a boon, but on another hand, in today's society, I believe that it could become a bane, where today we have kind of, like I mentioned, we've transcended those basic needs. I hope no one really has uh, lions or predators waiting to like stab them or, or something and for you to be all constantly bothered. Yet we are, this whole neocortex still makes us conditioned to always be thinking about our own future. Like, oh, what if I don't get these good grades? What am I going to do with that? And then, then what? And then, you know, all these ifs and buts and thens, which just put us in this brooding loop of anxiety. And it almost brings about this existential dread because once we've kind of um, done the basic needs, once we've learned how to survive, uh, then the question is, well, how do we thrive? Like, what else? Then what? Like, I've eaten food, I've had sex, I've, I've, I've done all these things, but now what? What else can I do? And so this whole notion of thinking in the future, I think, can reorient itself where we're not thinking about just our own future, but we're thinking about a bigger future, much, much bigger than ourselves. And this is the, connecting it to what you were saying, Xavier, where Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, he, they were not just concerned about their own futures, like, oh, how am I going to make money? How am I going to be rich? How am I going to buy that car? You know, they had a much bigger future. They had a much bigger vision than themselves. They had a vision that transcended the self, which, again, connects back to the idea of transdisciplinarity, something to go beyond the boundaries, to go beyond the self. And as Maslow describes in his updated hierarchy of needs, after self-actualization, which is realizing your own greatest potential, the, the greatest human need is to transcend the self. And so I believe that if we're able to, you know, while being in the moment, imagine a better future, not think about the future in a way where we're just thinking, okay, what are we going to do next and this and that, but beyond the self, I believe that that actually leads to much more happiness um, because the, the part of our brain, which is responsible for self-consciousness and self-awareness and, and this, this, thing, this um, Woody Allen in our head that keeps criticizing our, our ourselves turns off or, or kind of like pauses and other parts of our brain, which uh, are able to imagine of a world beyond the here and now, what is alive within me in, in my surroundings, thinking of a, a space beyond the things that I see is quite um, a phenomenal experience, at least for me. And I believe that being able to do that is um, how human beings essentially transcend is how we we transcend our limitations, is how we transcend our conditions, is how we improve, is how we grow and develop as a society. And so my um, goal throughout this podcast and, and throughout my life would be uh, to be in the present, but also to have this like futurist kind of mindset where I'm thinking of a world beyond myself, 500,000 years down the line, what could the world look like? And you may say that I'm just an idealist kind of uh, thinking and dreaming and, and thinking about all these uh, things that may not happen. But I think the point is not to like be fixated upon the outcome or, or that, that future, but rather to play along with those ideas to see a better vision of a future so that that can actually come into the present. So I believe that we are not just human beings, but also human becomings. And constantly we're shifting and evolving and growing towards this bigger vision that we're seeing. And so the future and the present are constantly coming together. Um, and another philosophical notion of this is um, the past, present, and future are one and the same. Uh, this MIT philosopher came up with this theory about how the future, the past, and the present are not quite different. But I think that's a conversation for another time. But just to summarize, what I'm trying to say here is that 
like basically what Xavier said, it's a balance about being in the moment, but also having this greater vision of the future, not just about my life, but about something bigger than the self so that we can really embody this, this, uh, this pillar or this, this value of transdisciplinarity. So that's my long dreaded answer. That's my spiel. A few inches later. So I wanted to add, like, just bring up this other quote that I think uh, embodies what we're trying to do here. Um, and so what I believe that we're trying to do here is, uh, is to riff and rhapsodize through a tumbling thicket of ideas with such a sharp alacrity that it takes the breath away. This, this is what uh, the Imaginary Foundation described uh, futurist Jason Silva as, that he has an ability to riff and rhapsodize with such a sharp alacrity that it takes the breath away. Essentially, I think that encapsulates the, the whole, this whole podcast and this whole idea of transdisciplinarity, which is we're trying to riff and rhapsodize through a th tumbling thicket of complex ideas in a way where, where like, you know, we have this futuristic mindset yet in the present that it takes the breath away. So that was it. But uh, yeah, man, do you have anything else to add to this? Yeah, for sure. I just wanted to touch on you talking about the, the, the notion of ideas and how the importance of long-term thinking and achieving goals and how we're wired in some way through evolutionary biology to, to think these way, this way and how um, it's about self-transcendence as a part of um, Maslow's updated hierarchy needs. I'd, I would like to this. I'd like to transition this point into who this podcast is for and the community is for, and touch upon another idea of the telos, which is what Aristotle and a lot of Greek philosophers um, recognized as the ultimate goal, the the life purpose per se. And this is exactly the point you were talking about. It's not only about um, achieving the bonus for your salary or getting the right amount of travel hours so you can go to another country it's about what is the inherent purpose of your life and the purpose of your living and i think who this podcast is for and like the community it is for i think it is for people that want to or who are in search of this telos who are in search of this higher purpose um and i know for me and for you for you as well shashwa that identifying this purpose and trying to do all that you can to drive that as best as you can to enact change is something that is incredibly fulfilling. And I know that even from a psycho psychology point of view and evolution and bio biology um, point of view that we're actually wired, like you said, through our neocortex to strive for goals because there's nothing more fulfilling than not only having those goals and striving towards it, but actually attaining those goals. And I think if we are able to identify a telos within our own lives and seek to to achieve it and to accomplish it or get as close to it. I think that is um, I think that is what my ultimate goal is with this, and I know it is um, in some sense for you as well. Um, I can see that you're, you 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 wanted to jump onto that, so let's do that. Yeah. So quickly, that reminded me this whole notion of finding like this telos and having these goals, these visions of the future that we see and see an opportunity towards. Uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, in his book Flow, says that um, 
the way to create an optimal state of flow, the way to create uh, this, 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 induce a state of flow in the in the body, which is essentially where we find the most fulfillment, and it's the state where we're deeply in the present and and completely focused into whatever we're doing at hand. He says that one of the most important things, or like the couple of steps that one could take, is first to find a specific goal. And then to break those goals down into into smaller goals and tasks. So kind of like finding this big vision and then breaking that down into smaller goals and then smaller and smaller until it can come down to a habit, which you can do right now today and like every single day with discipline. And then once a person is able to do that, then the person, uh, what he says, Mihai Chikun Mihai, um, he says that one can try to engage in, in activities that provide immediate feedback and not something where you just have to keep waiting and waiting uh, till you hear about how you're actually doing. So that's why he says things like conversations. There is immediate feedback. I say something, I see your reaction, you respond to it. That is immediate feedback to what I am saying. And that's why I believe that a podcast, at least for me, is such an immersive experience where I'm able to forget about myself and engage in something beyond me. And aside from that, things like sports, uh, like a, a basketball player, right? When he shoots, he he gets into the state of flow and he, he exactly knows if it doesn't go in, he knows the goal is to go in. And if it doesn't, he, he kind of reorients himself from the immediate feedback he gets uh, to do something differently and to change and to constantly evolve. And so that just connect in my head... Um, the entire thing that you were speaking about, like finding our purpose, long-term, short-term, transcending the self. Essentially, what how I see that is this entire activity that we're talking about can induce a state of flow, which is essentially one of the most fulfilling states that one can be in. And it doesn't have to be something too complicated. It can be something as simple as, as doing gardening. Even that can induce a state of flow. So it's it's the possibilities yeah. of inducing the state of flow are unlimited. And uh, yeah, yeah, in terms of what you were saying about who is this podcast for, uh, I would agree with you. It's a, for people who are seekers, for people who are curious and who want to explore, for all the wonder junkies who want to be awestruck and, and, and baffled by experiences that violate their expectation by novelty. Um, and who, who who don't just want to, like on one hand, there is, yes, earning monetary rewards and uh, the material side of things. But after that, like, as Maslow says is in his hierarchy of needs, it, it, there is a need higher than that, which is self-actualization, self-transcendence. And I believe that people uh, or the youth or anyone who's young in their mindset um, would resonate with such ideas and, and can definitely engage in this community and in, and in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And just to add on to another point of that, which I, I really enjoyed when you're talking about um, I've, I, I have no clue how to pronounce his name. It's like some weird Polish Mihai, name. Mihaly. Mihai. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to try and <laughs> pronounce that. But his book, his, his ideas of flow, in, in case our audience are unfamiliar, essentially the state of flow is this state we are in when we are incredibly productive and we feel that we are essentially... I, I, I don't know how to put into words uh, in the best action, way. That's what I'd like to say when you're just floating through space. Yes, 100%. And so I th this report brought up a point that I really attached on with, which is another point of who this podcast is for. And it's for people that also want to engage with each other. 
um, a big part of why we're doing this is to build a community and not only to invite people that have interesting ideas or perspectives so that we can all have a podcast together, but also so you can find a people that you can connect with and people that have ideas or have, uh, I guess, ways of being that you resonate with and then building your own community where you can discuss um, these ideas with each other. Because as, as Shashwit said, there's nothing more fulfilling than being in the state of flow. And I think we are in some sense in that now because that we have all these ideas that we're bouncing off each other and they come like that. And it is such a good way, not only to challenge yourself intellectually, but it's also such a motivating and I guess purpose-driven way of engaging with the world. Because it's not only that you're a bystander watching what is happening, you are actively seeking the truth, whether that's subjective or objective, through engaging with conversation. And I think this also touches on a very a tribal sense of um, maybe storytelling or engaging with our peers at some sort of level that is, I guess, beyond the superficial. I think there's that. But I think, like I said before, and another point of why this podcast and why this community and why this brand exists is to connect you, the viewers, with each other and also to connect you with us so we can engage in those ideas and get into that flow state or just, just talk about ideas that we're unaware of. So just to sorry, add to that thing about flow, it ties back to everything we've been saying about this whole notion of balance. Essentially, flow is the, the space in between discipline and surrender. It's, flow is always that space in between. Flow can never happen with rigidity. Flow, so flow actually comes uh, very interestingly fits into the idea of Taoism, where the sign yin and yang comes from, where this whole notion of effortless action, where not doing can become a lot of doing. These contrary start coexisting uh, in this philosophy of Taoism, which I'm super passionate about and interested in discussing. But essentially, this the inducing the state of flow, uh, we will only be able to do that when we as a community and as, as individuals are able to come to that balance. And um, yes, like Xavier, I, I completely agree with you that what we're trying to do here is to create flow in our community, in our personal lives, to 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 find a greater sense of purpose and and surrender to it. So find the discipline and then surrender to it. And again, like we were saying, long term versus short term. Uh, I like to say plan to death, which is like you're thinking long term, but then throw it away, which is that you're surrendered to the moment and you're letting life happen as it is. So it's again that idea of the balance between the long term, short term, plan to death, throw it away. But yeah, man, I think we've uh, said a lot about who this podcast is for, what we're going to be talking about. I think uh, this is quite a good taste and experience of of what we embody or the values we have and, and the things we like to talk about. Um, would you like to would you like to tell us or tell the audience um, what they can expect from us moving on into the future? Yeah, for sure. For sure. You read my mind. It's like we have a document for this. Um, I, I wanted to say that I think in terms of what you can expect from us, I think just initially just face value, what you guys have probably been able to pick up is that this idea of transdisciplinarity is something that we're both very passionate about, Some, something about bringing together multiple perspectives. I guess another way of putting this is what, uh, I forget the author's name, he wrote the, the book about um, generalists and bringing together multiple perspectives. Um, it's called Range. Jeffrey, yeah, David Range Epstein. By, is it? David, David Epstein. Epstein. Yeah, that's right. Um, not Jeffrey Epstein. That's a very different Epstein. Um, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, but essentially, like I was saying, I think it's uh, th- this podcast is going to be about bringing multiple perspectives together from people that have studied or are interested in completely different things. I think, uh, just speaking personally, Shashwan and I are both uh, uh, business students, and even though we are business students, that what we are interested in goes beyond that boundary. And this is kind of what Shashwan mentions before in some we have to make sure to find the the balance between no boundaries and boundaries and i think that's why um we we th- this idea of transdisciplinary is so inter- interesting because we're able to bring multiple perspectives together um but to to make it a bit more uh, simpler in terms of what you can expect from us i think we can also expect this podcast this is something that we're both um, very passionate about to discuss ideas that are different and these don't not only range from ideas that we both believe, but also ideas that we have not yet encountered or maybe don't believe yet. And through engaging with the audience, engaging with you guys, um, we actually will be able to change our mind. And I don't mean change our mind from like Stephen Crowder with his videos. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that. But I mean quite literally just engaging with things that we think are interesting and challenging our perspectives and also challenging you guys as well. Um, so the podcast and multiple and a transdisciplinary views is something you can expect from us. Um, did you have anything to add on to that, Shashwa? Yeah, I'm going to try to give this a little bit non-practical approach of what people can expect from us, something that just came to my mind. I think what people can expect is to engage with and become art. And why I say art, so let me give you a quick background of what is art, right? Quick spiel. And I'm probably going to put up an image later on here. But art is the balance between impressionism and expressionism. And what impressionism means is taking in information from the outside material world, which is where the world of science comes in. And then expressionism is the world or, or is this whole act of expressing what comes from within, from the inner world, which is where the subjectivity comes in. So impressionism, objectivity, expressionism, subjectivity, from the subjective senses where all religions, spiritual notions, and all that stuff is born. And what art is, is that place in the center. It's that I right here, right? Taking in, bringing out. Art is that center. It's that balance where inspiration comes from. And so what we're doing here, quite literally, I believe that we are creating and becoming art at the same time. Because think about it. I am saying something which is going into your heads. You are impressed. You're impressing what I am saying. And then you're making sense of it. You're processing it. And then you're expressing what I am impressing. So somewhere it's an infinite loop. It's an infinite cycle. It's an infinite game. We are constantly going back and forth, constant feedback, a state of flow where we are creating and becoming art through these conversations. And like this, this goes into this whole notion of language and how language is so fascinating and how language creates a reality and how we're using language to communicate ideas and, and really dive into each other's minds and, and find the singularity. But that's a conversation for another time. <sighs> anyway, that's, that's what I have um, to say about, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, while speaking, I just get into the state of flow. That's the most fun part. Yeah, yeah man. I think I think it, it is, it's a relevant point in the sense that I think as well a lot of there's a lot of ideas out there about trying to be as objective as possible. You know, there's this phrase "facts over feelings," um, and I think it's also important to recognize the the 
human aspect or the emotional or the subjective aspect that we bring into um, this external reality that we live. No matter how much information we can take in, um, that our subjective experience ultimately um, impresses in what sense we how we take in information. And I think that's a whole another conversation about what is truth, what is reality. That's a more postmodern view of the world. Um, but I think apart from that, um, other more practical things that get that the community and that the viewers can expect from us are other videos aside from podcasts, as well as maybe short, shorter videos more on philosophical ideas, um, maybe more artistic um, perspectives, like from a poetic perspective or maybe more literary perspective. But I think aside from that, I think the podcast and discussing and engaging with ideas, as we said at the right at the beginning, is the predominant way we will be engaging and, and trying to enact change and to reach this topic of utopia, to reach this idea of utopia, this notion of utopia. And I would just like to to, to finish on, on a, just a quote from, um, I forget his name, but essentially I'm paraphrasing. He talks about what utopia is. And he says, essentially, a utopia is a horizon where if you walk five steps towards the horizon, the horizon will move five steps backwards. If you move two steps forward, the horizon will move two steps backwards. But the purpose of the horizon is not to reach it. It is to move forward. And this idea of progress. And I think by engaging with ideas that are complex and engaging with ideas that are very hard to deal with on a, on a, on a just a global scale, um, we are able to get closer to the horizon. And that doesn't mean categorizing multiple perspectives as right or wrong, but it means coexisting with all the ideas that are present and bringing together this multiple or transdisciplinary perspective. I saw that you wanted to, to add on that, Shashwat. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel bad now to say anything else because that was like the perfect ending, man. You you set the quote, you you set you set the stage for the perfect ending. But since you've put me on the spot, um, all that I wanted to say is that practically speaking, we will be engaging in more such dialogues and reflections between the you and me. But also, like we said, the point is to build a community, and so we would like to invite the the people that we are engaging with as an audience to come into these conversations. I mean, I believe that the whole idea of utopia or, or finding utopia here and now, as Timothy Leary would say, is to find the others. And my, so my invitation to you is to engage with us, to challenge our beliefs, to, to engage in this dialectical transdisciplinarity and, and to find the others so that we can together enact, embody and realize the utopia that we seek. So I think that's it from me, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I'd like to say thank you for all of our viewers or community members for watching. If any of these ideas or ideas that you want to bring to the table are present in your mind, I would highly encourage you to reach out to us because there's nothing more potent than engaging conversation that allows us to get into a flow state, like we said. And um, we hope everyone enjoyed first and foremost and expect more from us going forward.